Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God, and uh, we're in Micah 5 is what we're going to be covering, and uh, I was trying to record this in our studio here, but it doesn't seem like it's going to work, and I have no idea why. (laughs) So, anyway, we're going to cover Micah 5 as uh, diligently as we can, and we've already been looking at Micah now for several weeks, and uh, and Micah is just one of the many of the small prophets that are are poorly understood, absolutely misunderstood in, in some areas of their prophecy, and the amazing thing is, is that almost all these minor prophets, including, uh, you know, Jeremiah and the other prophets, that uh, are considered not minor prophets, the the same issues are coming up time and time again because man is the same and God is the same. And when we uh, understand those basic issues, uh, they become a very uh, alive and and uh, and pertinent to our times. But the fact is, most people don't understand. And they are sitting in darkness again, like they were sitting in darkness at the time of Jesus Christ's appearance on earth. And what Jesus was trying to tell us, John the Baptist was heralding Jesus before uh, he came, even though John the Baptist did not quite know who Jesus was. It's very clear, because he had to send messengers to ask him, if he was the Messiah, if he was the one, the one who was going to be priest and king, because that's what the Messiah was, the anointed priest and king. Not, I mean, all the kings were anointed. All the kings were, in essence, to be Christ, but to be priest and king, high priest and king, was a job that only Moses had. And, of course, Moses divided that power uh, by delegating the high priest position to his brother. And then, of course, so you had this division of power in government, which is really the left-hand and right-hand side of government. But originally, in Judea, the uh, right-hand side of government was not in the hands of a king. It was in the hands of the individual people. Not as a collective, because originally Israel was a republic. It is actually, in in many encyclopedias, even the one sponsored by Bill Gates, <laughs> which was uh, in Carta way back when uh, that was the encyclopedia for computers, was uh, stating very clearly that the earliest form of a republic that we have recorded was Israel. Now, there were earlier forms, but uh, they were not clearly recorded. Abraham was forming basically a republic. And that's what he was doing when he was setting up these altars in the the communities round about where he was living. Is that they, those altars were the 
central core gathering places of republics. And now, to a lot of people trying to explain that, they will not get that at all. They will not understand what I'm talking about because they don't understand what a republic is, because they don't understand what an altar is, because they think they already know what everything is, and so therefore it just falls on deaf ears. And I was reading something sent to me by uh, someone in California, and, and I've read it before, but I was reading it again this morning as I was straightening up the office and, and moving things into the different piles that I have to attend to. <laughs> and uh, he sees certain aspects of what's going on in the world today. And uh, he also been following the program. He's probably listening to the program now. And uh, he cannot, sometimes he can and sometimes he can't, uh, but the, the way he talks, and, and I understand why you would be this way, is that you would think if I just explain this to other people, they will get it. And they won't necessarily get it. That's the problem, because they sit in darkness. Now, there's there may be light in their room, and they may go outside. They're probably wearing a mask, <laughs> you know, and uh, they're. Uh, but they can't really see what others see. It is as if they were in a dark room with no windows and no light. And you're trying to describe something that you see in the light. You're on a phone or something and trying to explain what you're looking at and what you can see. They can't see it. So no matter how clearly you make the words and describe what you're seeing, they're not going to get it. Now, there's... There's a different relative extent of how they will get it or not get it, uh, how they will maybe perceive certain aspects of it and not other aspects. But generally speaking, there's an awful lot of people out there, no matter how well you explain them, if you have flow charts and and, uh, footnotes and all the different things, all the different tools that we may use to explain something, they're simply not going to get it. They're not going to see it. And sometimes this can actually manifest itself when you're speaking to somebody in plain English. They cannot even put the sentences together, the words together into sentences in their mind. They, they, I hear what you're saying, but I can't understand what you're saying. It's like you're speaking another language. And it isn't just because they're not educated or they're not real smart. It's because they don't want to see it. There's a metaphysical aspect to our life going on all the time. And we don't always see it. And there's a great many people who want to deny its existence, the spiritual side of existence. They just do not want to admit that it's there. They actually deny it, that there is no spirit. There's just flesh and blood and brains, and when you're dead, you're dead, and that's it. And they will even react to things in the spirit. They will succumb to things in the spirit. 
they will be affected by things in the spirit, but they they don't want to admit what those those effects are and how those effects affect us and affect the way we think and the way we act and react to things. They don't want to believe that it's there, but it's still there. It's still affecting the way they think, the way they see things, and uh, they just are in basic denial of the truth that is all around them and the evidence of that truth all around them. And uh, there's not, not much you can do about it. It, the amazing thing is, is that what can be done about it is uh, hard times. Hard times will sometimes waken people up. The pain, agony will wake people up to the truth of what's going on around them and, and how they are making decisions and how they are uh, operating in the reality of their own existence. So this metaphysical reality of creation, this divine power, and the human ignorance of that power is uh, extensive in our existence today. So there are some people who think they understand the metaphysical or the spiritual side of things, and they're actually immersed in emotion. There's others that begin to understand, but they they don't think of themselves as understanding. This is one of the key things about understanding spiritual things, is that you only really begin to understand spiritual things when you admit that you don't understand spiritual things. Now, what do I mean by that? Is that you're not eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You do not understand spiritual things with your physical mind. Your physical mind can talk about things and can and draw pictures of things and you know create those flow charts and those ideas. But spiritual things are only understood in the spirit. And the spirit exists in you before you begin to think. Before you begin to conjure up images and words in your mind. The the spiritual side of you is deeper than the mental side of you. Although many of the things that we understand in the spirit communicate to us through our minds, through the words in our minds, through the pictures in our minds. Some people think in words all the time. Some people think in pictures. Some people think literally in feelings, uh, impressions, intuition, we call it. And uh, all these things exist within us. And uh, they they can be, because they're not concrete, because you can't measure them in a test tube or or line them out where you have a schematic of the spirit, People do not really understand its existence. So why am I bringing all this up when we're talking about Micah? Well, as we've been going through Micah, we've been looking at the the different 
paragraphs and the different chapters of Micah. And then, like in the first chapter, it was the watchman failed to warn the people. It's not just about the fact that the people don't see the the mechanical, spiritually mechanical, the spiritual DNA process of judgment. That God doesn't have to sit there and and weigh the facts. The facts are already weighed in creation. The consequences of going the wrong way are already built into creation. They're built into us even in more sublime ways than in our spiritual DNA. They're built into creation itself. That if you go a certain way, we live in this cause and effect universe, certain things will happen. And so it's not only about that, but it's about the fact that there are watchmen amongst us who should be warning us of things to come. Somebody was sent me a warning that this is May Day and that there could be false flags. Uh, this is a typical time when certain things take place in history, you know, uh, that uh, will affect society. And uh, maybe they are, maybe they're not. There, There is spiritual forces afoot and moving in the world today all the time, every day. And sometimes those spiritual forces seem to be magnified in more dramatic events. But the intellectual delving into trying to understand spiritual things often leads to failure because it's a vain attempt. And the spirit is not a place where vanity is effective. Humility is the key to understanding spiritual things. Again, back to the idea that you only begin to understand spiritual things when you begin to realize you don't understand spiritual things in your mind. You understand spiritual things when you are walking in the Spirit. And walking in the Spirit doesn't work if you're walking in vanity. This is the thing. When And the whole story of Adam and Eve is that there was this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I refer to it as a dendritic tree. It's, it's your mind. It's your brain, which is a gift and a tool. But when you use it to decide what is good and evil, chaos will reign. Spiritual things should be discerned in the spirit. That's not in the flesh of your brain. That is in the spiritual existence of yourself. In order to see the spiritual existence of yourself, you have to learn to be quiet and wait upon the Lord. What are you quieting? You're quieting your mind, that that thing that is constantly going and daydreaming and imagining and, and rehearsing events of your life. You know, you're thinking about what so-and-so did to you or what so-and-so happened or what you're afraid of in the future. Fear, anxiety, judgment, all these things are noises in your mind in that dendritic tree that keep you from hearing things of the Spirit. And so you have to learn to be still 
and know. That's what the Bible tells us. What do they mean? Be still and know. To quiet that dendritic tree, that mind, and listen to spiritual things. This is why Christ made it so important that humility was a part of his plan. Uh, Vanity went against that. Judging other people. uh, Casting judgment upon other people. That is keeping you from understanding spiritual things. You know, there's a lot of people out there going around and saying, oh, well, you're not a Sabbath keeper, and so therefore you're not one of us. You're not one of the faithful, or you believe this thing, you believe that thing, and so therefore you're not saved, or you're not one of us. And uh, that's vanity, and that's judgment. And that's not how it works. Someone who is mentally incapacitated by our standards today may be closer to the kingdom of God than you are because it's not an intellectual journey it's a spiritual journey it's a journey back to the spirit of God the creator and that creative influence and so when you read things like the Bible if you have all these preconceived notions sealed in judgment sealed in vanity in your mind it's like trying to go down a, a road that is filled with ruts and you, you don't really have control of your steering. You don't have control of where you're going. And it will end in chaos. So anyway, quick review on Micah. It's not just about the fact that bad things were coming and that the people were following after the graven images, the creations of their own hands, the idolatry. They were worshiping the things that they created in their own hands. They were looking to those things they created with their own hands for answers, which... Like I said, the the Constitution of the United States or or Parliament and and the Queen of England are are graven images because we have created these images. That's why they have all this pomp and ceremony around these things is because we literally adore and serve those things. And of course, there's a lot of people who will not bow down and serve them, but they also will not serve the Holy Spirit. They will not walk in the Spirit. They walk in their own vanity. And they're unfaithful with the unrighteous mammon, and they will not be suitable for more righteous habitations. And they are the foolish virgins who keep themselves separate from the world but have no oil in their lamps because they they've haven't walked the walk of righteousness. They've just walked the walk of self-righteousness. So anyway... Uh, the second paragraph in Micah 1, uh, people will suffer with no hope and be overrun because they believe a lie. And they believe a lie because they did not want to see the truth. And so, therefore, there are lies that are substituting themselves for the truth. And so then the very next chapter, Micah 2, or chapter, uh, is woe to them that devise iniquity. So this is a, there are the people that should be warning people of the bad things that are coming and the bad way that they have chosen to go. But the second chapter is talking about those who devise iniquity. And of course, that was the sin of Jacob to devise a plan where he could get the birthright to his brother. And of course, we showed you how FDR 
devise such an iniquitous plan. Both in the book uh, Covenants of the Gods and Thy Kingdom Come, which you can download for free on online, they explain that uh, the guys who devised the Social Security plan were taking your right to inheritance. That's why there's an inheritance tax now. <laughs> that's that's why you don't have a right to 20, 30, 40, 50% of your income. That's why you, that and other things that came along back in 1913 is why you don't have a right to your property. You don't own your property. You only have a legal title, and legal title does not include ownership. It's only an apparent title. It carries with it no beneficial interest. That's that's the definition, right, in the law. If people don't see it, you know, when I first wrote Covenants of the Gods and brought them to a top attorney who wrote law books, who happened to be my father, he said I was right. But they're not going to like you. Why? Because I'm telling you the truth. And it's there. The book has been there for decades now. And thousands and thousands of people have read it. Some people have read it many, many, many times. And they say every time they read it, they discover something new. Well, I tell you what will lead to you really discovering something new is to learn to be still, to learn to be humble, learn to live a life of service to others instead of serving yourself. This will make the difference. So the people who devise these iniquities, uh, their eyes will be darkened. Uh, But the upright will hear. Those that covet will be the enemy of the truth. Their blindness will bring destruction, but a remnant shall find refuge. So you want to be that remnant, because obviously you don't want to find destruction. (laughs) Bring destruction to yourself and to your family. So you want to be that remnant that finds refuge. Well, you have to stop coveting your neighbor's goods through those men who exercise authority one over the other. Because those covetous practices is what has made you merchandise. It isn't it isn't Bill Gates or or George Soros or the Rothschilds, I don't know who else, you know, the bankers. That's not who's made you uh merchandise. The merchants of the earth haven't made you merchandise. It's your covetous practices. So you don't want to just be not coveting of your neighbor's goods. In other words, just not wanting to take the benefits at the expense of your neighbor. You want to become the benefit to your neighbor and to those who are also seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because you want to counter what you have done. I mean, if you've gone the wrong way for a decade or ten decades, you have to turn around and go the other way. That's how you get back. You retrace your steps back to where you should have been all along. And the church, the modern church, is one of the big culprits in this. But you can't blame the modern church again because that you leave judgment to God. God will judge the modern church, and, and many of them know that judgment is coming. So what are we going to learn in Micah 5 that we haven't already seen in Micah 1, 2, 3, and 4? What are we going to understand when we're done with today's show that we didn't understand before? Well, that's what we'll have to explore when we come back.
so in the uh, Micah 3, we see that because they bite one another, they will be devoured, and God will not save them. So that's that's basically the theme of that uh, chapter. And they are not saved by the blood of Jesus if they choose to continue to drink and eat the flesh and blood of their neighbor. It's, it just... You're you're diluting yourself. You're still a worker of iniquity because you are drinking the blood of your neighbor. You are depending upon men who exercise authority one over the other to obtain the benefits of your life and to live at the expense of others and depend upon the property of others for your livelihood. That is absolutely in opposition to Christ. And the fact that you say you believe in Christ while you continue to pursue what he forbid and condemned in the Pharisees is evidence that you're sitting in darkness. And that is the good news because when you receive it, you can repent because you know what you have to repent of. It's very simple. The gospel is very simple. So, by Micah 4, we were looking at the last days, the mountains of the Lord shall be established. So, it's time. It's time that the the remnant uh, begins to actually do what Christ said. And to return to the faith and live by the faith of Christ. The remnant shall come and be blessed and protected. But... You have to make the choice to be that remnant. And, of course, humility, again, is an essential thing, is that you have to, in order for you to see the truth, you have to be willing to accept the truth that you have accepted a lie. You have to receive the truth that you have accepted a lie. And then you can become the flock of Basra, the the flock of the fortress of righteousness of Christ. You may not be perfect in it, but at least you'll be going in the right direction. Because it's that flock of Basra that shall inherit the Lord and his purposes. So they would have to be doing what the Lord says. So Micah 5 begins with this idea of gather thyself in troops. So what does that mean? There's there's quite a bit of talk in, in the beginning of Micah 5 about troops. It says, Now gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops. He hath laid siege against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, thou Though thou be little amongst thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler of Israel, whose going forth have been from of old, from everlasting for a long time. This everlasting, the days of eternity that is what Hebrew says that means. But Bethlehem Ephrata, this is the prediction of Christ's coming, of Jesus coming out of Bethlehem. 
Well, actually, there's a meaning to the word Bethlehem, and there's a meaning to the word Ephrata, and they're telling you something. This is the the metaphysical footprints in the scriptures. They're there all the time. And I could go and tell you what those definitions were and, and what those words mean, and we could look at those words and see if they added new letters to them. And you could go through this uh, one word at a time. You know, when he says the judge of Israel, who with a rod upon the cheek, what did Jesus say? If someone strikes you in the cheek, turn to him the other cheek. Is there a double meaning in the word cheek? Is there a meaning in the word rod? You know, spare the rod and spoil the child, they say. We have an article up on that. That doesn't mean to beat your children. <laughs> it has nothing to do with that. Because any shepherd knows that you do not get sheep to go where you want by hitting them with a stick. That isn't the way it works. That's not how he uses his rod. He puts his rod as a guide. He points the way uh, with the rod. And the sheep learn to trust the rod because it leads them away from the edge of the cliff and from danger and from poisonous plants. And the, the sheep follow the leading of the rod. It has nothing to do with beating your children. <laughs> so, but people do don't understand this. I was thinking about a particular... Uh, I guess he's a philosopher and he's often debating with uh, people like Jordan Peterson and I guess he was on a show with uh, Bill Maher and uh, others talking about Muslims and stuff like this. His understanding of the Bible is horrendous. He's a genius guy, very smart guy, very smart intellectually, Sam Harris. But uh, he doesn't understand the Bible. And Reasonably so, because there's so much misinformation out there, most people don't understand the Bible. You know, I, I remember where he said, a goat is a goat is a goat, so that's it, you know. And, uh, but that's not it. That's not a goat. In the Bible, a goat is not necessarily a goat. <laughs> and a kidney is not necessarily a kidney. And the uh, reins of control may be something else, because that's what the same word for kidney is the same words for reins of control. You know, reins like the horse's reins. Same word. So you can, you know, the same word for a rump is Elijah, which is also a gift to God. So what when they talk about giving the kidneys to the Levites, are they talking about giving the reins of control of your sacrifice to the Levites? Or are they talking about Levites eating kidneys forever and ever and ever? Because that's their share. No, it's it's the control. You were giving the Levites control of your sacrifice, and the Levites were rightly dividing the essence of your contribution from house to house, providing a daily administration to the tabernacles of the congregation, the tents of the congregation. It says this right there. Once you understand all the words, and this is what we explain in Thy Kingdom Come and in the Free Church Report and in in the Covenants of the Gods, that you don't know the meaning of words. You think religion today is what you think about God. 
because that if you looked it up, if you Google it, they would tell you it's it's what you think about a supreme being. That's religion. But 2,000 years ago, even 200 years ago, religion was the pious performance of a duty to God and to your fellow man. So you just ask yourself, what's your duty to your fellow man? Well, you have to care about his life, his rights, his property, his sweat, his toil, his children, as much as you care about your own. And if you devise a system or somebody else devises it and you just join it, that take away the rights of your neighbor... You can expect, it's built into creation, that your rights will be taken away. If you covet your neighbor's goods, don't expect to own anything. <laughs> now, according to the New World Order and the, the Great Reset, you will own nothing and be happy. I'm not sure if the word be happy is an order or a prophecy. <laughs> You will be content with owning nothing, because they say so. But you're only going this way. I'm not blaming poor Klaus Schwab. He's he's a victim of his own vanity. He, he will go and fall upon his own sword and destroy himself. And, and I, I'm sorry for him for that. I don't want to change it, unless, of course, he repents. And then it will automatically be changed. The question is, what are you going to do? You can't do anything about Klaus Schwab or George Soros or the Rothschilds. But you can do something about you. If you want to be the sheep of Basra, you better start listening to the shepherd, the good shepherd, the righteous shepherd of Christ. Start doing what he said. And he says here in Micah, now gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops. He hath laid siege against us. They they got us all wearing masks and taking vaccinations, <laughs> that untested vaccinations, that according to studies published last year, will cause heart disease, uh, liver failures, uh, lung problems, just by touching the S1 protein, which was synthetically and genetically bound to the original virus that is out there artificially in Wuhan, according to the top, top scientists in the United States, who will never get published on Facebook <laughs> or, or in Google. But, you know, we, we have links on our website to those studies and what They've come up and, and proven that I'm talking real science, real scientists with real track records explaining exactly how lethal this S1 protein is and, and how it was grafted in and when it was grafted in. And they explain all this, but it's just not going to get on the news. It's not even going to get on Fox because... They are not the watchmen on the wall. But the watchmen on the wall will tell you. But will you listen? And will you take the time to share that information with others? You're going to have to create other avenues of crea uh, communication. Because they're not going to let this information out. The guys who published it, they're very careful. 
because they know they will be shut down, but they're published, they're available. We have copies of them, and and you can see them, but you you should join the network and ask, how do I find this out? We'll show you. How do you join the network? Go to preparingyou.com or hisholychurch.org and join the network in your area. And then start joining the Living Network, which isn't going to be dependent upon Facebook and Internet for communication if, you know, if you actually become the sheep of Basra, the sheep of the fortress of Christ. So what are these troops that they talk about here in the first few verses of uh, Micah 5? Well, there's two different words translated into troops. Uh, Gathering troops is from the word gadad, and if you looked it up in your concordance, you would see this uh, 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 gimel delet delet, which is the word that is normally, or actually comes uh, from a word meaning cut. And uh, cut. Now, what would, where would we use that word cut, and why would they have that in relationship to troops, to gather thyself in troops? Well, the, I have an article up, uh, IBT, I think is the name of the article. You can just search IBT at Preparing You, you'll probably find it. But uh, it's when the Indianapolis Baptist Temple was sued by the United States. And uh, I was led to go there, and uh, long story, I probably got it on audio, and uh, ended up meeting with the head guy before I even got there. Uh, he he picked me up on the side of the road. <laughs> I didn't even know who he was. I just knew I was supposed to go there, and he ended up giving me the, uh, you know, their case. I I actually knew his lawyer, uh Who's a third-party lawyer, and uh, I knew he was steering them in the wrong direction, and I knew what the problem was, and I knew it almost instantly when I read the what the judge was stating. And this is part of that metaphysical aspect of the battle of of God and evil. You don't have to do the battle; God will do the battle. You have to simply align yourself with the ways of God. By following the ways of God, walking in the spirit of God, not walking in your spirit of self-righteousness and your arrogance, but humbly walking to serve others in righteousness, not in self-righteousness. So, basically, it, it'll tell you in the article, and I won't go through all of it, but uh, it, the judge is telling them what the problem is. But she can't come right out and tell it. If you go read our article on juries, it had, there's a link there to letters that I had back and forth with a judge. And the judge, I asked him questions. I was setting him up, uh, admittedly. I think he knew it. And uh, and he was very clever. And he, he didn't say he couldn't tell me the answer in the sense that he didn't know the answer. He said, I can't tell you the answer because he's not allowed to tell you the answer. <laughs> But in a roundabout sort of way, he did, and you just have to go read those series of letters, is that originally a jury in the United States, in America, before the United States even existed, had the right to decide fact and law. Today, 
juries do not decide fact and law. They decide the fact, and the judges decide the law because the nature of the courts in America has changed. It's changed because of your apathy, because you're avarice, because you've been coveting your neighbor's goods, because you've been slothful in the ways of righteousness. But you created this problem, and other people just filled the gap that you created when you didn't walk with God. And we've been doing this for generations now. And it's gotten worse and worse and worse, and now we're seeing how bad it's getting. And it's going to get a lot worse than that. But in the beginning of our papers, addressing back to uh, the Baptist people and, and the Pastor Dixon there, she said right out that uh, their claim to be a first century church did not cut muster. And I, I knew right away, I said, she's telling you what the problem is. And you'll just have to read the article to get the full gist of it. But there's that word cut, cut muster. And that has to do with troops. It has to do with who you're gathering with and who you're with as an individual. And so there's a protection, and I'm working on an article on Civitas and several other supporting articles that will explain this, and we'll do shows on that as they get finished. But you've been groomed for bondage, and what we're trying to do is show you how to get groomed for liberty, because you're not ready for liberty. If somebody came in and said, okay, we're going to cut you all loose, you're all going to be free. You would have total chaos, total absolute mayhem and chaos in the world today. There would be blood in the streets because you're not ready for freedom. You're not because freedom and liberty is is the products of accepting responsibility, and you've been neglecting your responsibilities for generations now. And you have to get back to that. And that's what repentance is, turning around and going the other way, thinking the other way, being the other way. You don't know what that is because you've been in darkness. So now, I mean, some of you have a little bit of an idea, but I'm not going to be able to teach it to you. The Holy Spirit has to teach it to you. So now you want to open the door to the Holy Spirit in your heart and your mind and let God come in and explain it to you, not be explain everything to you. So you have this word, gimel delet delet, commonly translated cut. And uh, it means to penetrate, cut, attack, invade. So gather together, assemble by troops from a word that means to penetrate, cut, attack, and invade. Uh, What are are they really talking about here? Uh, Like we say in the study of Micah 1, and I have a link there on the page where you can go back to, Jeremiah mentions this cutting and baldness numerous times. But only in this verse do we see it with the additional letters so that the word is tetgoddedet, or dedi. Uh, And the letters, of course, is tov, tov. It's a double tov. You don't find that very often in, in the Hebrew language. But that's what we see here is this double tov, gimel, delet, delet. And again, when we've talked about double tov before, and there's different ways of writing that double tov, it means in spirit and in truth. 
It means in word, in deed. That those are the, that's the same concept. So again, it's not only that you begin to see the truth, but you need to begin to act upon it, like the fellow I mentioned this morning who wants to act upon it. And that is a good thing that he wants to act upon it, but you don't have to do giant things to act upon it because that there's a danger of vanity. If you were to do the giant things and really open the doors and, and make people see and, and all this stuff, there's a danger of vanity coming into that. I don't know what God wants him to do. He may want him to do great things. He may want him to do what seems to be small things so that God can do the great things, which, of course, is what we see. This is where we're, we're going, is down to the shores of the Red Sea, leaving the bondage of Egypt and seeking in the desert to learn the ways of God and the ways of the kingdom so that we worship God instead of the unrighteous mammon of the world. That puts us in a vulnerable place where the enemies of the Lamb of God will want to come down upon you with everything they have, like the Pharaoh wanted to come down upon the Israelites. The Israelites were told to pull back, not to fight the battle, that God would fight the battle. He put the fiery column there, whatever that was, and, you know, that's the way we describe it. And, of course, Cecil B. DeMille's has his version of this fiery column. But, of course, they followed a fiery column. Fiery by day, or, or by night, it seemed to be a fiery column, but at night it was a pillar of smoke. They followed that as it floated in the sky. And there's a point there where it comes to Moses on a mount and and somebody's talking to Moses out of this pillar of fire by night and pillar of smoke by day. <laughs> so Cecil B. DeMille's picture may not be 100% accurate. But the point is, is that uh, God does not expect you to destroy the enemy. He will destroy the enemy if you will walk in his righteousness. And of course, that's what the Israelites were learning during the plagues of Egypt is how to take care of one another. It wasn't so much the knowledge of how to make those clay vase containers that would purify the waters, which would be equivalent to what we have today as a, known as a perky water filter. <laughs> That's what they were doing, is they were making those as a way to make them in primitive society. We can teach you how to do that. Where you filter water, and then the water that comes out on the other side is drinkable. And if you don't filter the water, you could become ill with what is in the water. That was what happened when the waters turned to blood. They had to filter the water, and in Philos they show how the Israelites were doing this, not only for themselves, but showing the Egyptians how to do it. And other things that came with the plagues, the Israelites showed them ways to protect themselves so that they did not fall victim to the plagues that came. Well, join the network and we'll see what God shows. And we will share it with you through the network. But this Tov, Tov, Gimel, Delet, Delet is the cut, the troop that you need to have, the troops of faith of double faith, of faith in knowledge and faith in action. So you don't necessarily have to do great things, 
but you have to seek the righteousness of God. And you have to cut yourself off from the ways of wickedness. And that's a process. And so, anyway, that's what he's talking about. You gather yourselves in a certain kind of troops. Troops of word and deed. Troops of righteousness. And, of course, that's no different than what Jesus was saying, what John the Baptist was, to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. To learn how to take care of one another, not with force, not with men who exercise authority, but with love, with charity, with free will offerings. And do this as if you cared about your neighbor in troops, congregations of ten, this way Jesus commanded, why Jesus commanded his followers, his disciples, to make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. That's how the early church was organized. When they got away from that, they were leading you in the wrong direction. We're trying to show you that direction that Christ laid down for us so that you can become those troops of troops of faith and righteousness. And we'll explore the rest of this when we come back. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So as we were saying in Micah 5, it's telling us a solution for this disaster that's coming. And it's coming because of what we've been doing, what we have chose to do, the way we have chosen to fulfill our duty to God and our fellow man, which was these devised systems where we covet our neighbor's goods, and therefore go into bondage, go back into bondage. I mean, that's how they got into bondage in Egypt to begin with, is they coveted their brother's position, and they sold him into bondage, so they themselves were sold into bondage. Every time we apply for benefits from men who exercise authority, when we know that they're only going to provide us with benefits by taking away from our neighbor, we are selling our neighbors into bondage so that we can have what we want. So therefore, we will go into bondage for the same reason. So therefore, I've said it now several different ways. You should be able to figure this out, that you cannot covet your neighbor's goods and remain free. You cannot have a free nation that forces the contributions of the people to provide a daily ministration. You're praying to men who exercise authority for your daily bread. You're not praying to Christ You're actually taking the name of the Lord in vain because you're saying you believe in Christ, but you're doing the exact opposite of what Christ said to do. So therefore, you are a worker of iniquity, and Christ will have nothing to do with you, and therefore you will not be the sheep of Basra. Therefore, you will be devoured because you have chosen to devour others and to depend upon the livelihood of others for your livelihood by taking away from your neighbor so that you can have what you want today. And you've also disregarded the Sabbath because you borrowed against the future for what you enjoy today. And, of course, that's the exact opposite of what keeping the Sabbath is. It has nothing to do with the day. It has to do with the way. And you have gone the opposite way of working first and earning your way. You've borrowed and, and therefore, you have cursed your children. Another thing that they tell you in the New Testament, you will do. So, yeah, I'm repeating things that I've said before, but it needs repeating because there's not enough of you out there saying it. <laughs> so, 
Now gather thyself in troops. This is the solution, O daughter of troops. He hath laid siege against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon his cheek. And the modern church has smited Christ as if with a rod upon his cheek because they have told you that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods to the men who exercise authority when Christ said it was not to be that way with you. So they have done again what the Pharisees have done. The modern church is the modern Pharisees. But thou, Bethlehem, O Frada, though thou be little amongst the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler of Israel. He's not your ruler. If he was your ruler, he would be doing what you were supposed to be doing <laughs> in his name. Matthew 2, 6. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least amongst the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Well, is Christ ruling your life? If he is, then you would be doing what Christ said, right? If you're not doing what Christ said, well, then... He's not your governor. You've got another governor. Maybe it's Kate Brown. Maybe it's uh, Biden. Uh, or maybe it was Trump. But it certainly wasn't Christ. Because you wouldn't be doing the things that you've been doing since FDR and before. If you were actually following Christ. John seven forty two Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh? of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was. So what would be the seed of David if it was a metaphor and and not what you think? If you if you, you go back to Genesis thirty five nineteen, uh mentions Ephrata and uh, Bethlehem, Genesis forty eight seven, uh and Rachel uh was died and uh this has to do with Bethlehem and Ephrata. So you see them mentioned there. But even Ruth, who married Boaz, we see the people that were in the gates and the elders said, we are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah. So they're equating it again back, Ruth, Rachel, Leah, uh, and Bethlehem and Ephrata, these are all, and if you looked at the meaning of those words, you would see a connection there. But what it, what was Micah talking about? Strange women, strange woman, strange way of caring for one another. What was the thing with uh, Rachel? And, and uh, wasn't wasn't she a servant? And uh, Rebecca, the same. This is a different spirit, and the church should be that spirit. Instead, the church is deluding you with emotion and calling it spirit while it leads you in ways of iniquity and says that iniquity is okay. Just lie about your faith in the ways of Christ because that's what Christianity was originally called, the way. Therefore will he give them up until... The time 
that she which travaileth hath brought forth, then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel, and he shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord, and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall abide, for now shall he be great unto the ends of the earth. So feed and rule and God and God's people and the sheep of Basra. What part of creation are you clinging to? On what part of the creation of men's hands are you clinging to? Are you walking in the ways of righteousness? Are you seeking the ways of righteousness? Are you sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands trying to care for one another with free will offerings? If you are not, do not expect to be free. There is no trick or gimmick to this. There is the power of God that will come into influence and into a position of protection of those who walk in His ways. So, all you really have to do is walk in his ways. And that you may want to share the things that you discover, but you have to be careful even how you do that. In verse 5 we see, And this man shall be the peace when the Assyrian shall come into our land, when he shall tread in our places. Then shall we raise against him seven shepherds, and eight principled men. So what are seven shepherds and eight principled men? And this is a reference to something else that's in the Bible where it talks about that you can appoint seven, even eight. And there's a purpose for this, and this is for the catastrophes that may come, the cataclysms that may come. These men serve a purpose. And there will be actual men who hold such positions, but they're not rulers over people. They're providing service. The, the, the ministers of God's kingdom are men of service. They have power in that service, but they don't have power over other men. They have power over other men who would come against God, but God will fight that battle. So what, what are these Assyrians? If you if you look at the words as, uh, that they translate into Assyria, it's the Ashurs, and there's several different forms of it. It comes from uh, a word that has a sense of meaning successful. It is the traveling merchants of the earth. Uh, the second son of Shem, who has also uh, received this title, but it's and it's also a nation. Everything the term is used is often related to the spirit and the bondage of the Asurus, which is a, a metaphor of the spirits of the merchants of men. And we have articles if you go to our, our website at Preparing You and look up Micah 5 in the footnote, you'll see an article to merchants of men. And, of course, this brings into course, uh, this is how you become slaves and men become merchandise and curse their children, which we have articles on that, and a surety for debt. And this is when the Assyrians come. They're already here, folks. It's not like they're going to be coming next week or in a couple of years. 
you're already in that bondage. You don't own your labor. You don't own your land. You don't own your children. You're back in the bondage of Egypt. It's worse for you than the bondage of Egypt. The bondage of Egypt, the government got 20% of your labor right off the top. Many people are paying over half of their labor right off the top. And those of you who don't pay anything but are dependent upon welfare or some sort of government check or a stimulus check, you, <laughs> yeah, you don't have to pay in, but your bellies are full of the blood of your neighbor because they got you taking bite out of one another. You will be the first to be devoured when the real shortages show up. So anyway, in verse 7, we go on to say, and the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many people as a dew from the Lord, as the shower upon the grass as, as that tarrieth not for man, nor waiteth for the sons of men. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the Gentiles in the midst of many people as a lion amongst the beasts of the forest, as a young lion amongst the flocks of sheep, who, if he go through both, treadeth down and teareth in pieces, and none can deliver. So even though the, you know, remember in Revelations where it talks about the merchants of the earth, having a full stock of including souls and slaves of men and everything. They own all, own it all. And uh, that's already taken place. That's already a done deal. But in Revelations, eventually they sit far off and they watch it burn. And they, they lose control. And if we go to the prophecies uh, of uh, Ezekiel, uh, where there's this uh, taking of a spoil and destruction, uh, all that will come into play as well. And I don't want to mention it to create fear in your mind because, again, fear is that activity of the mind and uh, the emotions that keep you from being still and knowing. To have that faith of living by faith, you see, it's the little thing of just taking care of one another, gathering together, religiously gathering together in your troops, you people of truth, to take care of one another, to not take a bite out of one another, but to prevent a bite from being taken out of one another. I had discussions with uh, someone just the other day about the power of contract, that you can make a contract, not with unbelievers, but with each other, to not take a bite out of one another, to not force the contributions of one another. And you the penalty of that contract is to not keep the contract. There's no other, you know, you make this contract, this agreement, this coming into one accord, that you're going to live by faith, hope, and charity with those who also want to live by faith, hope, and charity. And that's going to be a process to learn that. Because, you know, just when the Israelites went out into the wilderness, there were some that occasionally wanted to go back. And there were some that wanted to set up the same kind of system and some that wanted to cut wood on the Sabbath. I thought about that early this morning when I got up about 4 o'clock and, and uh, I was pondering that, cutting wood. And I've, I've looked at it and I've looked at, 
cutting wood on the Sabbath has nothing to do with a saw, an axe, uh, lumber, <laughs> or the day Saturday. It doesn't have to do with that. It has to do with debt, borrowing, and using that process of borrowing to make it the process of getting people to borrow a way of making profit, of making gain. All banks do this. When you talk about cutting wood on the Sabbath, is he actually talking about banking <laughs> in the metaphors? Because they're doing it on Sabbath. In other words, they're violating the Sabbath because they're going to, you know, give you profit today that you have to earn tomorrow. <laughs> so that's not keeping the Sabbath. That's the reverse. See, if you think the Sabbath is about a day, you're already missing it. It's about a way of earning your way first. So it doesn't mean you can't loan money to somebody. You just can't loan money and make it a profit because then you're cutting wood on the Sabbath. Now, that's a brief look at that. We'd have to go through that break down the words and look at the original Hebrew and see all the other letters that they added to these words like wood and and Sabbath so that you you understand what they're talking about. But you've already done that long before FDR. You were doing that back in the days of the Federal Reserve. And, of course, to some degree, you were doing that with the banking systems all the way back to the first U.S. bank and and the people were fighting against uh, having a U.S. bank and United States, the Bank of the United States. But uh, all the Federal Reserve was was an organized international organization that was bringing about what you had already been dabbling in, or many people had been dabbling in, uh, through banking systems. Banking systems in themselves is not the problem. It's your avarice and wantonness and callous disregard of the principles of righteousness where you want to make a profit. I mean, the whole depression came about because everybody wanted to make a profit off of everybody else. And we could go through that in detail, but let's let's continue here with, uh, we were looking at verse 8, the remnant of Jacob shall be amongst the Gentiles, the other nations, in the midst of many people as a lion amongst the beasts of the forest and a young lion amongst the flock of the sheep. A young lion and a flock of sheep will just lash out and kill in every direction. It, it will not be organized. You know, an older lion, they will have strategy, but a young lion will just be, it's like a pack of dogs. They just out for the kill, the bloodlust. In verse 9 we see, Thine hand shall be lifted up upon thine adversaries, and all thine enemies shall be cut off. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord, that I will cut off thy horses out of the midst of thee, and I will destroy thy chariots. So, that again is a metaphor and, uh, you know, if you go to look at Deuteronomy seventeen sixteen, we have a link on the page that will take you to that. It says, you know, one of the things you were to put down in your constitution, if you were to write a constitution to, to control a ruler so he doesn't get too much power, 
which is what they explain in Deuteronomy 17:16. Unfortunately, the guys who wrote the Constitution needed to look at that a little closer because they only included one of the five things in the Constitution of the United States that God says to put in a Constitution if you're going to have a man who could exercise authority, you know, like a chief executive officer or a commander-in-chief. He says, but he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt. Well, you're already, we already explained, you're back in Egypt. Yo, more than 20%, most of you, of your labor, it comes not only by federal income tax, but often by state income tax, or sales tax, or property tax, or gas tax, and tax on this and tax on that. But you're more in bondage than you were in Egypt. And you've cursed your children with that same bondage. But he says that you weren't to multiply horses. So obviously that means something more than just talking about aquion. You know, they didn't want the they didn't want your president to become a horse farmer. <laughs> it's a metaphor. But anyway, verse eleven, and I will cut off the cities of thy land and throw down all thy strongholds. So cities, again, the word cities in the Hebrew also is the word for terror. Why? Because cities are a civitas, which is why we're going to have some programs on what a civitas is and what kind of civitas. Because there is a civitas in the kingdom of God. And there's a civitas in the Soviet Union. And there's a civitas in the United States today. And there was a civitas in the United States back in uh, 1801. And that civitas is different than the civitas today. And so, But he's going to cut off these cities of thy land and throw down all thy strongholds, all the leverage they have against you. But you, you're not ready for that yet because you haven't learned the ways of righteousness and the ways of liberty, which is what Christ was teaching you. And you're not getting taught in your modern church. So verse 12 says, And I will cut off witchcraft out of thine hand, and thou shalt have no more soothsayers. So where where would you find a soothsayer today? <laughs> if you're looking for a soothsayer today. Well, actually, you know, you could find soothsayers on CNN. <laughs> They're telling you, what's going on and what's the repercussions of what's going on and what to expect. So CNN is a form of soothsayers. Fox News is a form of soothsayers. So what, what is the witchcraft, guys? You know, the, the word we see translated into witchcraft. What is that all about? Um, it, there's this vain and vanity that we see uh, connected with that. But uh, anyway, we'll we'll have to save that for later or we won't get all the way through this. But out of thy hand, it's going to cut off witchcraft out of thine hand. Witchcraft's still going to be there, but the power of that witchcraft will be cut off. And witchcraft is often associated in the Greek with the pharmaceutica. So what is what are they really talking about? We'll, we'll look at that a little bit later, but... And then it says in verse 13, The graven images also will I cut off, and thy standing images out of the midst of thee, 
and thou shalt no more worship the works of thine hands, and I will pluck up thy groves out of the midst of thee, so will I destroy thy cities. So he's going to cut off your cities, but he's also going to destroy your cities. And I will execute vengeance and anger and fury upon the heathen, such as they have not heard. So who are the heathen? Well, unfortunately, a lot of heathens are going to the modern church. Because heathens are those who don't really believe in the righteousness of God. And so that's a lot of the people in your modern church who say, Lord, Lord. They say they believe. But they are actually workers of iniquity. Uh, Jeremiah also talks about 80 men who come after what seems to be repentance and sacrifice. He also asks how long people will cut themselves off from the remnant of the righteousness. So what is the remnant of the righteousness? You can find that in Jeremiah 47.5. This baldness is come upon Gaza. Ashkelon is cut off with the remnant of their valley. How long wilt thou cut thyself? And meaning cut thyself off. And what cuts us off? Going back to the beginning of the show is the fact that you're not being still. You know, a lot of people want me to interpret, you know, prophecy so they know what's coming. Well, I can tell you this, bad things are coming. But I can also tell you that good things are coming. The Whether you're going to experience the good things or the bad things, because they may be the same things. The same things that destroy those that want to hold you in bondage, the Clauses and Soroses and Rothschilds of the world or whatever conspiracy theory is you're... I mean, basically it's evil. You know, men wanting to have control over other men. Men wanting to be despots. That That is basically the problem that you're, you're facing. But the problem is, is that you've all been despots. Now, I know it's to lesser or greater degrees, but you want to repent of all that, where you do not want to benefit at the expense of your neighbor through men who exercise authority. You want to be a benefit to your neighbor out of love. And that will put you in another dimension, another realm, another world. That's what we call the kingdom of heaven. And it attaches you internally, spiritually, to the kingdom of heaven. It's not an emotional spirituality. It's an unemotional spirituality. Emotions are a tool that we can use to express and to project into creation what is going on in our hearts. But what is going on in your hearts needs to be put there by the hand of God, by the Spirit of God. It is not the spirit of judgment and self-righteousness and anger and condemnation. It is the spirit of forgiveness. It is the spirit of of, uh, acceptance and honor and love for one another. And that's why you're sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands to learn what it means to love one another as Christ loved you. And it's an opportunity. 
It's not the solution itself. The solution is Christ. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So are you getting it? <laughs> are you figuring it out? Are you beginning to understand what... Uh, this kingdom of God and his righteousness is, it's not, it's not business as usual. It's not just doing your own thing according to your own particular view of what you think is righteous. It's according to the righteousness of God. And the righteousness of God is that you are a giver of life, not a taker of life. You do not take a bite out of one another. You do not drink the blood of your enemy or certainly not your neighbor. So why in the world would you be seeking the benefits of men who exercise authority and force the contributions of your neighbor? So a lot of people have what we call kingdom tracks in their life now. They already are walking somewhat in the ways of Christ. They need to just to continue that process. And one of the things that we see is people want to homeschool. Like when we first began to think about homeschooling, in the back of my mind I could see that, well, why should I send my kids to them to be educated? Well, I could educate first and second grade, third grade, fourth grade. I mean, I can teach them how to do that. And we heard of this thing called homeschooling. We didn't know anybody really who homeschooled. We we began to find out. But, of course, this was, you know, like I've got kids that are, you know, I've got quite a few kids in their 40s <laughs> so, and, and up. So we were homeschooling decades and decades ago. But it was partly that, the same as, you know, once I found myself unemployed when I went back to, I had a small uh, farm in Wisconsin and uh, had been building uh, cabinets and furniture in California and decided to go back to Wisconsin. So my wife and I and uh, our son went back there to uh, the farm. I didn't have any work. And so I thought, well, I'll go down in the employment place because I didn't know where else to look for work. There was hardly any papers around. And they wanted to give me money because I was unemployed. I said, well, I quit my job before. I mean, when I was here before, I'm I'm looking for work. And he says, well, we don't have any work for you, but we can get you money. And, and I thought, like, where where do you get money? And I well, said, it, it's from the government. Well, if it's from the government, it's from your neighbor. And I thought, like, no, I don't want that money. I said, well, it's it's free. All you have to do is just go over here, and they'll have a few forms. They're really easy to fill out. They'll help you fill them out, and they can get you money. I could get, get a check every month. And I thought, like, isn't this the state employment service? <laughs> it's the state free handout service. It was just foreign to me. And I, so I went out and got a job cutting pulpwood in the woods for like 13 cents a stick eight you cut an eight foot log you get 13 cents so uh, you got to cut pretty fast to make any money in there, right? <laughs> uh, but I actually then I could haul the logs to the mill and get a little bit more but uh, 
uh, it was backbreaking hard. I mean, we were shoveling snow to get to the bottom of the trees to cut them down. <laughs> so it was hard work. And, but we only had to do it for a couple of months, and then I got some other work. But uh, uh, it was a good experience. I learned a lot, didn't make a lot. But uh, the reality is is that it wasn't. it didn't seem right to me to take this free money to take this money that they said that I was just entitled to. It, it was foreign to me. And it's been, I know there's a lot of other people it's foreign to. So if you, if you want to take back your responsibilities, then you, you may have an opportunity to get back your rights. But it will only be by the grace of God and by following the ways of Christ. There is no other way. You have to follow the ways of righteousness. Otherwise, you're going to end up in the ways of destruction. So, I we do have a little bit of time to look at uh, Micah and this idea of witchcraft. And uh, the idea, again, the the word that you see there is kofshin uh, pai. And uh, that's just basically three letters. But if you actually go to the context of Micah, verse 12, you'll see that the actual word that they have there, it has, again, additional letters (laughs) that they don't tell you about in the concordance. You have to go back to the original text. And the additional letters is Yod Mim. And those of you who understand some of the meanings of these letters. Yod, again, is the divine spark. That divine spark is what told you, let's try to teach our children at home. We can do that ourselves. We don't have to send them off to a school, a public school, at the expense of our neighbor. Or, well, you may not have thought that all out, but something in you said, let's, let's teach them ourselves. That's the divine spark. It is by that spark that you begin to see, because that sparks. If you had, if you if you had a lighter that didn't work, no flame, and you were in an absolutely dark place, you could sit there and hit the striker of that lighter, and just the sparks alone would give you a glimpse of what was around you in the room. That would be a a good terror movie where where you're in an absolute dark place and you try to light your lighter and you get just a flash, a little bit of light, and you flick it a couple times and you don't see anything. You flick it a couple times and then you see there's somebody in the room with you. (laughs) And, of course, that's where we're at. We're in darkness, but we're not alone. Somebody's whispering in your ear, oh, it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods just have to believe in Jesus Christ that's a demon talking to you because they don't really want you to believe in Christ they want you to believe in an image of Christ that they have created in your mind it's not Christ Christ does not want you to bite one another he does not want you to covet one another's goods and so you get the divine spark but the divine spark by itself is not enough you have to have the mim, the flow. And what's the flow? You have to act upon what you begin to see. 
if you just go to the word before that in that verse 12, and I will cut off, he says, and I will cut off the sorceries. The word cut off there, it's uh, it's it's another one of these Hebrew words with lots of extra letters, including Yod, that divine spark, and the letter Tav, which is faith. So you have the, those two two words. Now, originally, the the word there is Karath, to cut off, and it does have to do with this uh, word uh, Resh and Tav, but they're adding this. Yod to it, and evolve at the beginning, and a hey for emphasis. So they're putting all these letters together, and if you were really good at reading Hebrew, you could read that, and you would get a glimpse of each of those ideas, plus the root word to cut off, and in relationship to this sorcery, you would begin to maybe understand, but even if you understood all those letters, and all their meanings, and could look at the Hebrew and read those letters and the emphasis of their meaning. Without the Holy Spirit, you're still not going to get it. Because these are words, these are pictures, these are images of ideas, symbols of ideas, that you're only going to see spiritual things when you awaken spiritually. And you can only be awakened spiritually when you walk with the Spirit. And when you walk with the Spirit of Christ, with the Spirit of God, like in the garden, you're going to see yourself as you really are. You're going to see that you don't have the authority to decide what is good and evil. You don't have, you're naked to that authority. What is good and evil is already decided in creation. You can either perceive it, see it, recognize it, or deny it. Adam and Eve, their greatest sin was in denying the truth of their sin. Because that compounded it. And it drove them out of the garden. If you, You'd be walking in the garden right now, wherever you're at. You'd be walking in the garden if you were willing to see the truth and the whole truth, not only about the world and the evil of the world, but the evil of yourself. The journey to the kingdom of God is a journey within yourself. That's why they tell you the kingdom of the God is within you. And what you're trying to do is plug into that spiritual plug socket of Christ, of righteousness. Because it, it, you know, it says, and I will cut off sorceries from your hand and soothsayers no shall have you. They shall have you. Right now, people watch CNN, they watch MSNBC or whatever stations they have in Europe and all these stuff, and they believe that what they're watching and what they're seeing is the truth. You know, the word there and the soothsayers, there's there's more than a half a dozen letters in the original text for what is basically, you know, this uh, simple word, anon. Uh, A-N, uh, nun, uh, nun. It's two nuns. In it. 
and but in the actual text, you don't just have those three letters. <laughs> you you have lots of letters. I think it's a vav, mem, another nun, aon, nun. So they change the order of that, and uh, and another vav is in there, another yod, and another mem. All this in this one word sus there. They're trying to impart to you a lot of other ideas. And it's the soothsayers shall not have you. Why do the soothsayers have the people in Micah? It's because the watchmen, who are to be the watchmen of the mountain, are not telling them the truth. We're trying to tell you the truth. I only have words to tell you with... But the real truth has to be written upon your heart and upon your mind. And the way that gets written upon your heart and your mind is, one thing, you have to shut off all these other sources of sorcery and soothsayers and fake news and and all these other things that you have believed that have driven you down into this shutdown of righteousness and where everybody is, everybody wants to take a stimulus check. Well, everybody doesn't. There's a lot of people who aren't taking it. But they they want you to take and take and take and take. And, of course, what was the prophecy in Samuel 8? You can go read that in your spare time. That if you want to have a ruler who can exercise authority one over the other, king, president, prime minister, whatever you want to call them, that this is what's going to happen. He's going to take and take and take and take and take and take. And you say, oh, well, then we don't want to have the king. But the reality is that you are the ones who are taking and taking and taking. If he's taking and giving to you and taking and giving to you, you become a partaker of his sins. And therefore, the repercussions of that is more and more bondage, more and more destruction. Now, we know that all these giveaway programs are going to lead, lead to runaway inflation. But, of course, this runaway inflation in a monetary system we should have never created to begin with because it was cutting wood on the Sabbath. It was borrowing money against the future to have stuff today. That was in violation of the Sabbath. So, I mean, we can just take this back layer after layer after layer. And it can get extremely complicated because the same as if we were cutting away your flesh. <laughs> we would get, you know, there would be epidermis and then we'd get down into the other tissues and then there would be diaphragms and bones and livers and kidneys. You're a very complicated person. But that you don't need to know all those things about the internal workings of your body for your body to work. You need to know that you probably want to feed it good food. You probably want to give it rest when it needs rest. And you want to treat it right. Well, you want to do the same in your relationship with your neighbor, with your community. You want to treat your community right. You don't want to ask somebody to go to your neighbor's house and force them to contribute so you can have free education, free health care, free college, free Medicare, welfare, all these things. But most of the people do want all those things. 
So you have to seek out people who are willing to sit down, or at least in the beginning, sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Ten, because that's about all the people that you could get to know on an intimate basis. And, you know, you might be able to get 15 or 20 people, but you really, to get to know them on an intimate basis, you start with 10. You have to connect them with 10 other groups of 10, which makes 100. And you have to care about the people way over there that you don't even get to sit down with on a regular basis. As much as you care about the people that are right with you. That's a characteristic of God. He cares about the Chinese people on the other side of the planet as much as he cares about the Americans or the Canadians and the Australians. And It's built into the universe. He cares about, you know, extraterrestrials if there are any <laughs> that's going to be in the news pretty soon don't believe those soothsayers though because they're not telling you the truth all the time but what you want to do learn to quiet in your mind learn to fear not gather together with the intention of Christ in the name of Christ which is to save others not to save yourself you gather together not to get a good feeling but to do righteousness and and learn the ways of righteousness. So that's why you want to gather together. So how do you quieten your mind? Well, we have articles on meditation and recordings on meditation. And meditation is just an exercise because you're so bad at it now. You know, you want to know how... One of the, uh, I had early experiences with meditation when I was a kid, but uh, I realized that, you know, one of the ways... When I got out into the work world, I worked on Harry Maranaka's onion radish farm in Simi Valley. I would come home, and my arms and my hands were tangling with vibration because of the fact that I had worked so hard, and I would sit down in a chair, and I just did not move a muscle. I was absolutely exhausted, was acutely aware of all my sore muscles and, and aches and pains, and I just sat there and felt it. That's meditation. <laughs> that was focusing on the moment. I was in the moment with my pain. <laughs> but uh, the re- reality is you're in pain and agony all the time. Maybe not to that extreme, and I wouldn't want to wish that. Well, I would wish that on some people, that agony and pain, because <laughs> it might wake you up to the moment. But it was good. And... It's part of meditation is being aware, waiting upon the Lord and seeing yourself as you really are. Anybody can point out all the bad things that the world is doing and the and the soothsayers and sorcerers of the world and the pharmacia of the world and all the destruction that they're going to wreak and reap upon the world. Uh, but that's not going to help you. What's going to help you is to look into your own hearts, your own mind, your own soul your own impatience, your own judgment, and be willing to see that and then ask God in your heart and in your mind, what do you want me to do? It probably will not be great things. It will be little things, but God will make those little things great. God is in control. There is a spiritual reality all around us. We're just plugged into the wrong one. We're plugged into the darkness of the world. And it manipulates us like emotional puppets. Fear not. Judge not. 
love one another. Gather together in troops, O ye of troops, and do so in order to attend to the daily ministration of righteousness. We know what the daily ministration of unrighteousness is. It's men who exercise authority, who force the contributions of their neighbors, who borrow against the future of their children. That's the ways of unrighteousness. You got that down pretty good now. Let's try something completely different. Let's try Christ. Let's try the ways of Christ. Stop trying to conjure up feelings that you imagine to be the Spirit. You do not conjure up the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit listeth where it wills. It is not an emotional spirit. You may feel emotions of release with it, but that's a byproduct of the Holy Spirit. It is not the Holy Spirit itself. The Holy Spirit is just life in the Spirit. It is peace in the Spirit. It's it's not a climax of pleasure. It's it's a calming. It's that still small voice. That's the voice of the Spirit. It's not worked up and jumping around in gyrations. That is a distraction. So, anyway, join us at preparingyou.com. Go there. Click on the network link. Join the network. Stop putting it off. It's just an email network. It's based on geography. It gives you the opportunity, the more you join, the more you get people to join, the more opportunities you will have to form living congregations. And that's the living network. And that's what early Christianity was. It was a network. That's what Abraham was doing out there in the desert with his altars. He was creating a network of individual communities that were taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. They did not need rulers who could exercise authority and set up armies and set up massive police force to control everybody. It was people who learned to sit down in small groups and network together. And then those groups networked with other groups so that overnight Abraham was able to put together an army. Even with that army, do you think he won simply by the force of that army? Or was it because of the Spirit of God? I tell you, this metaphysical Spirit of God working in individuals come together willing to let their neighbor be free, even to the point of coming together to free their neighbor. This puts a powerful influence in their community. You will not see out there in the rabble of the world who riot by day. We see the violence coming. We see the people have become perfect savages. I've been doing a lot of work with uh, Polybius, reading more of the details. There's a guy who had it down pretty good. He could see it. And I'd like to use someone that's outside the biblical text to show you that these principles are not limited to the Bible. They're all stated in the Bible. They're stated in the prophets, the minor prophets and the greater prophets. It's stated in the New Testament by people like Peter and Paul and John that you should be keeping the commandments. And if you're not keeping the commandments, you probably haven't repented and you're not a part of the kingdom of God. 
And so the fact is, I the news I'm sharing with you is that nobody's been keeping the commandments. They haven't been doing what we call the righteousness of God. So we need to repent of that and turn around and go the other way. So join us on the network. Go to hisholychurch.org. You can also collect the, uh, connect to the network links there. And uh, till then, peace on your house. And may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.